thoughts and ideas expressed in this podcast are solely those of the authors and guests of the podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Soberless Thoughts. That's Sir Alexander Gorley. And that's the master of ceremonies, Mike Odenbeck. And these are our soberless thoughts. That's right, Alex. What are you up to today, buddy? I am just getting my little drink on. That's right. Starting the day the right way. Uh, with uh, some cinnamon toast crunch. That's right. That's, that's the best way to start your morning. <laughs> that is actually my all-time favorite cereal. Is it really? Yeah, man. I mean, cinnamon toast crunch is up there. Yeah. It's got to be. What's What's lower than that? I mean, above that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's a lot lower, like Raisin Bran or any of those that come for like healthy fiber so you poop better. Fucking Wheaties. <laughs> now, there's one below that where you get it. It's just, it's not even like, I don't know. It's just like foliage. <laughs> Dude, there's like like the, like the off-market healthy cereal. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's not it. It's like in a bag, but it has like a Ziploc at the top of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's for people that need to poop. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, today we're drinking uh, cinnamon toast crunch shots. That's right. Kind of. I mean, th- these are. This is essentially we're going to take them like a shot, and this is a shot, but we, uh, I kind of double just down on this one, so it yeah. should be a good episode. Uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch Shot, if you never had it before, it is super easy. We can do it at any party, and honestly, if you've ever been out to the bar, they'd love to give these out. Uh, forewarning, though, uh, after I tell you about these, do not drink like 30 of them because it will be a nasty sick later. Um, but what it is is. Uh, Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey, which we've had on the show before, which I'm not a big fan of, uh, (laughs) and equal parts that and Rum Chata. Now, Rum Chata is an interesting um, liqueur. It's a cream liqueur, actually, and it's made in Wisconsin, and it's basically the ingredients are rum, dairy, cream, cinnamon, vanilla, sugar, and a couple other flavorings. Um I heard a rumor, and the rum chata is only like 13.75% alcohol. The fireball is about 33, so yeah. this double is really going to be like the sum total of like a regular shot. Right. Um, but I, the funny thing is I heard a rumor, and I don't know if it's true. It's just what some guy told me at a bar. But uh, the guys that made rum chata, is they were making this stuff in their bathtub in their college, like at their fraternity. Really? In like... I don't know if it was their fraternity, but basically in their house, and they'd have a big giant party, and everybody come over and drink this rum drink, this rum chata drink. And then they basically took it out of the bathtub and started manufacturing this stuff. Damn. So I don't know if that's true or not. That's just like one of the rumors I've heard. But um, I put a little cinnamon in mine to kind of give it a little bit more of that cinnamon toast crunch uh, feel to it. Yeah. And are we just drinking this all in one gulp? I mean, I was going to try. All right. All right. Time for that. All right. Let's do it. Cheers. Cheers, bye. Woo. Oh. Mm. Stings the nostrils. <laughs> Woo. That would be the fireball. Oh. I don't remember Cinnamon Toast Crunch tasting like that. Uh. Now, I, I could see where half of that in a shot glass would oh. be pleasant. I get a little bit oh, of the cinnamon toast crunch aftertaste. Yeah. It's like you're drinking the milk after you've eaten the cereal out of the bowl. 
Jesus. What's that fireball, man? I think it was sitting on top. It it doesn't really mix real well. Whew. Oh. Dude, I'm a I'm gonna give that a <laughs> I'm gonna give that a four. I think. Yeah. I think I'm gonna give that one a four. Yeah. I think I'm gonna follow you down that rabbit hole. I'm gonna give it a three. Yeah. Um not my jam. I, I made my eyes water. <laughs> dude, I I'm telling you, it, it literally opened my sinuses. Uh <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. I was a little stuffed up. Yeah. Now I'm Yeah, that feels great. <sighs> All right. Oh, yeah. I'm going to feel tingly. I'm feeling tingly. My face is wide awake now. <laughs> I'm ready to start my day. Let's operate heavy machinery. <laughs> oh, dude. All right. So this episode, we're doing our third. Is it our third? Yeah, I think it's our third. Our third uh, rendition of... What we call this? Drunkards in History. <laughs> uh, so the first, the first one I did. Uh, God, I can't even remember who I did in the first one. Well, yeah, uh, you did Hunter S. Thompson. I did do Hunter S. Thompson, and your guy liked to eat people. And uh, oh yeah, that's right. I did a serial killer. Who yep. was that? Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yep. And then in the second one, I did a couple presidents. Yes. And I did Edgar Allan Poe because I'm a goth kid inside. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you let it come out just a little bit every once in a while. Yeah, I know. I just I just wish I had my long hair to put over just my left eye. <laughs> <laughs> you need some uh, mascara. No, you need eyeliner. Eyeliner. Eyeliner and black fingernail polish. Yeah. I could see that. Have um, you ever wore that before? mascara no but i will be Eyeliner? honest i no I'm, i never wore face your nails i did paint my nails yeah yeah <laughs> I, I uh i would like in eighth grade i had my index finger and my pinky so it would be like oh yeah metal so yeah so you're doing the metal sign yeah black metal yeah. i it actually all started as i think it was some girl at school she was one of my goth friends and she uh I always had black fingernail polish. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, and then one day she's like, let me paint yours. And I was like, sure. And then I just kind of let her. And then it picked off. Then one day I was like, I'm going to do that again. And then I just did my, I think my left hand, but my yeah. index and that one. I don't know. It was just me being you, weird. you're right handed and you had to paint on your left hand. Basically. Yeah, probably. So uh, speaking of black metal, <laughs> uh the drunkard in history that I'm doing is uh, Robert Johnson. Nice. Yes. Wow. God, that's classy. <laughs> I was so hoping you're going to say Chris Gaines. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Chris Gaines. Not today. Maybe yeah. next time. We need to feature him on just an episode by him. just Chris Gaines, yeah. mind you. Just a Chris Gaines episode. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, Robert Johnson, I got to give you props on that one. Yeah, man. Robert Johnson, uh, born May 8th, 1911, died August 16th, 1938, maybe the first of the 27 Club. Ooh. Ooh. Good call. Yeah? Yeah. 
might might be one of the originals. He might be the original. Maybe he's the one started it all off. I mean, might be. Yeah. It might be his curse that started the 27 yeah. Club. <laughs> Dude, it could be. It could be. Yeah. Um, so almost nothing is known yeah. really of the history of Robert Johnson, like his like the actual day-to-day mm. of his life. You get some people that, you know, have some eyewitness accounts. So, yeah, man, we hung out and we traveled together and did this and did that. Um, but really, when you, you'd have to read long-ass books. I watched a couple of documentaries. Yeah. I, uh, I listened to a couple of podcasts about Robert Johnson. And, uh, yeah, I learned one thing. His favorite drink was whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> um, yeah. That's what he liked, yeah. whiskey so, and women. Yeah. Well, for, for the listeners that don't know, who was Robert Johnson? What Robert, was he known for? Robert Johnson is uh, maybe the uh, pioneer of rock music as we know it. Yep. He uh, was a Delta Blues legend. Mm-hmm. After he died, of course, always at while he was alive, he was he was well known, and like the maybe when he when he died, like the day that he died, at that point he had become kind of well known. Mm-hmm. Still not super well known, but kind of well known to where like people who were heavy into the music industry yeah. knew who he was, and knew how good he was. Um. He only recorded 29 songs in two separate recording sessions that he did. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I guess the most famous thing about Robert Johnson, which probably isn't even real, is just fabrication, is the whole selling or sell up you're selling your soul at the crossroads yeah. to the devil to make you a better musician. Yeah. That he's the, uh, the, I, I guess that's where the, that whole, like, even like in, um, oh, what was that movie? Uh, Oh brother, where art thou? And stuff like that. Like all those derive from him. Right. Well, actually in that movie, uh, the guy, the character's name is Tommy Johnson. Yeah. And that's who that original myth is actually is tommy johnson oh and then which came like you know 10 20 years before robert johnson oh okay and then they kind of like hand me downed that myth to robert johnson and then he like from a lot of the things that i read about he basically never denied it but he never said, yeah, that happened either. Yeah. And he just let people think that because of the the mythos of it. Yeah, the buzz. Yeah. So so he was like, yeah, I mean, if you want to think that, you can think that, you know, yeah. whatever. That's amazing. I uh, I didn't know that about Tommy Johnson. I, I, I knew that about Robert Johnson, and I can I, – I always can tell a true guitar player if I go, do you know who Robert Johnson is? And it's just because it's the epitome of how far are you willing to go to play your guitar. Right. Um, so usually like, and that's just like, and the, the funny thing is even when I was a starting off guitar player, an old guy in a pawn shop asked me that. He was like, do you know who Robert Johnson is? And it's like something that's like, like, I don't know why, but it's like something you just ask if they're like, you see how like serious they are. Cause then they've researched right. like all the different genres. 
right so this is how you so this is how you become an amazing guitar player yeah so you find a crossroads <laughs> and uh you take your guitar there and you sit facing the crossroads a man will come behind you and ask for your guitar you do not look at this man you do not look at him. You do not look him in the eye. You do not even turn in his direction. You simply hand him your guitar. He will then, behind you, tune your guitar. When he finishes tuning his guitar or your guitar, he will hand it back to you. And once you receive that guitar back from that man, the deal is done. And you now... <laughs> That's wild. I have goosebumps. And, yeah. <laughs> and you now will be an amazing guitar player, but your soul now belongs to the devil. Yeah. All because he tuned your fucking guitar. That's right. <laughs> um, a lot of people think that, or he actually did, he strung a seventh string to his guitar. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yep. Yeah. And he would, uh, he would, he would play... He was one of the first people to ever play the guitar like people would play the piano in his time. Mm. And he always said, if I, if I hear somebody playing something on a piano, I want to be able to do that with my guitar. Huh. And then said that's what he would strive for when he was like thinking out his licks and stuff. I mean, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Because the, as a guitar player, like, that's very smooth let's put it that way like you can because it's a lot more jumps to do all the same notes that a uh, piano player but to strive for that no wonder he got so good right for his time yeah and they said he had beautiful hands <laughs> <laughs> well he had small he had small hands but really long thin fingers okay so which made it i'm sure it made it a hell of a lot easier to play guitar when except when you have these you know fucking bear paws that i do for hands yeah it's like now nah, i just press down on all the strings at <laughs> once <laughs> but yeah so uh robert johnson man and uh yeah his favorite drink was the whiskey uh he ended up becoming a pretty uh pretty well-known alcoholic um well what what ha what ha happened was what happened uh, when he was in his early 20s, he met a beautiful young girl. They got married. Oh. And uh, she got pregnant, and uh, they were going to have their first baby. And when she wanted to go, go up to her grandparents' house and have the baby there, so she had family and people around uh, to help her out with the baby. Well, he was still down in uh, Mississippi, and he's like, well, you go on up and then let me finish what I'm doing here. And I'll basically what he was going to do is work his way up and then meet up with her and like, uh, basically play little jute joints and stuff <laughs> on the way up. Yeah. And, uh, because he, cause he actually quit playing the blues when he got married to her. Ah, uh, he had no more blues. Well, he, he <clears throat> wanted to basically, basically his the mentality of the blues back then was that it was the devil's music 
and it was just rambling men that played the blues and like it was it wasn't a family man type of thing to do oh i got you so he actually he put the guitar down he uh decided he was gonna just take care of his wife and his kid on the way he was going to start working on a farm and stuff well then and he did all that and then she went up north to get to have the baby and then while she was gone for extra cash he picked his guitar back up and started playing Mm. and then he's like well that's why i'm gonna that's how i'm gonna make money getting back up to her for when the baby's born is i'm just going to play all these different bars and stuff that i used to play on the way up to her because uh because at this time he was already a professional musician yeah and uh this is actually even before the whole crossroads thing. Ooh, okay. So he was he was a professional musician before that happened. Okay. So so he works his way up to where she's at with her grandparents. When when he gets up there, she had already gone into labor a few days beforehand and uh actually passed away while giving birth. Oh, it's terrible. And he lost both her and the baby. Damn. Right. And comes the blues. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Like a fucking freight train. Right. And her family uh, found out that he was working his way up to come see her. Yeah. By playing in these juke joints and stuff. And 100% blamed him for her death and the baby's death damn saying it's your fault because you quit playing the devil's music and then you decided to play it again coming up here yeah. and that's why they died and just threw a fucking heat seeking guilt trip on him like none other damn yeah yeah i'd drink two after that shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's and and this is and this is where it begins yeah this is where the womanizing begins this is where the hardcore drinking of whiskey begins is after this happens dude a broken heart will send you to some crazy places for sure right uh i also get you know he probably doesn't want to settle down after that he's probably afraid to do it again like it'll happen again well he actually uh met <laughs> it's funny you say that because like a year or two years later, he met another girl. Okay. That he fell in love with. Yeah. Wanted to get married to. Her parents found out that uh what he did for a living, that he was a, you know, traveling musician. Yeah. And absolutely refused her to marry him and basically broke him up. And then so then again, heartbroken cuz she like took her parents advice and yeah left him after he proposed to her and then so then later on he ends up marrying an older woman who like owned a juke joint and uh and he was married to her when he died but it never but it never stopped him from messing around yeah he was just like it was just like a comfort thing i guess yeah having somebody there yeah that's wild. I mean, you know, back then they could parents could do that kind of stuff. Where like you, you're forbidden to see that person, right? And I'm also sitting sitting here trying to think like, what is the the modern equivalent to a blues musician back then? Like, if you if everyone thinks you're singing the devil's music and everyone looks down on it, but everyone goes out to the bars to listen to it, 
like what do you are you like a dj today is that what it is like like black metal man (laughs) black metal (laughs) i mean right yeah you are not dating the lead singer of fucking i don't know (laughs) (laughs) whatever yeah i was trying to think of something metal but i was every time i think of one it was an actual band name i was like anthrax biodome fucking hazard shit damn it (laughs) yeah so uh i guess we can get to his death and uh yeah or well we'll get to the one of the legends of why why he became like why they said he sold his soul at the crossroads is uh, a musician named um sunhouse okay a musician named sunhouse uh and uh willie brown were like they were like uh partners okay and they'd play at all these different juke joints when the town that he lived in and uh he would come in there when they were like in between sets and grab a guitar and start playing and well what sunhouse said was that he was so trashy of a guitar player when he started doing that that basically the people in the juke joint were like, look, you need to get the fuck out of here. And they'd yeah. tell Sunhouse, like, man, you need to kick him the fuck out, grab your guitar back, and tell him to fuck off, you know? Yeah. Like, that's not what we're trying to listen to. Well, Sunhouse made it out like the reason they were doing that was because he was such a shitty guitar player. Yeah. Well, he was already a professional musician for like two or three years at this point. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't a shitty guitar player. He just didn't play the blues. He played modern pop music at that time uh so he was playing all this uh, and he had like uh he had an ear for songs to where he only had to hear it once and he could play it man that's like some oh what is it um like identic memory or whatever yeah i was gonna say it's kind of like uh it's like a type of autism i'm trying to like savant yeah something like that where they like where they can look like there was a kid that like he went into an airplane and I can't remember. He might've been in like teens or twenties or something, but they took him on an airplane and he looked over the city of New York and then came back and then drew it from memory on like a 30 foot wall. Wow. And it was like incredible all from memory. And you're like, how the fuck do yeah. you do that? That's amazing. Uh, I would, uh, kind of makes you wonder about this one too. Just like, or I mean, actually, I, I say that, but at the same time, but if if you think of like musicians like Ray Charles, which I'm a big Ray Charles fan, uh, he had to learn that way because he couldn't see, so he couldn't right. read music, so he had to listen and then adjust. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what they said. He could. That's what they said. Robert Johnson could do. He could listen to a song and only hear it once, and then be able to grab his guitar and play that song. But uh, so a lot of the music that he would play was stuff that he would hear on a on a radio oh that makes sense and it was all like pop music of that time on a radio so he would just grab his guitar and just start playing you know white man's pop music (laughs) in this juke joint yeah and that's why they're like get this motherfucker out of here like we don't want to listen to this yeah and so they did so they (laughs) kick him out well so he goes and he's like all right i want to i want to basically master my own craft of like my style of blues music okay so he, he uh ends up running into this guy named isaiah isaiah zimmerman okay who 
in his own right was like a legendary guitar player in that area never put out any records but like everybody in that area knew him and knew that he was an amazing guitar player and he kind of took johnson in to his house and let him stay there with him and uh zimmerman's daughter actually would say in later interviews that like hillman hillman johnson would go out to the cemetery late at night which was right down the street from their house and play like like for hours in the cemetery because that's where they could like get loud and yeah no one was around and no one would be around and nobody'd come bother them yeah and so like that whole mystique of him learning in the cemetery whatever that's actually true that he that him and zimmerman actually that's where they would go and practice all the time was in the cemetery late at night and so it was zimmerman who really honed his helped him hone his craft and then it was like maybe a year later he goes back to the juke joint you know where Sunhouse and them guys are at playing and they get in between sets and he's like hey, let me and he had his own guitar this time and he pulls his guitar out and he's like let's see how this goes and then boom starts playing and everybody's like holy shit exactly yeah like where the fuck did he come from yeah yeah like I could see that now why the the change between the times and everybody's right. like he had to sell his soul to be that good. Right, yeah. right. But in reality, like I said, he was already a professional musician. Yeah. He was already a, a hone he already had a, a a really good at playing the guitar. He just wasn't playing the blues. True. So he goes back, he learns the blues from Zimmerman, like learns his style of how he wants to do it has a apparently he was like a prolific record owner like constantly listening to records all day long yeah and then so he was getting he was getting like all this influence and then like he started only listening to blues music and he started getting all this earlier influence that he then transitioned into his own music Mm. And then came back out, and then, like I said, he recorded, eventually recorded 29 songs, uh, all of which are amazing. I was going to say, have you listened to them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've listened to them. You can definitely tell they're recorded. Yeah. On like a, um, oh, what is it? Like one of those things like where you had to, I don't know if it was actually mic'd or it was one of those where you actually sang into a. Uh, like not an Epiphone, but uh, what is it? Like those timey record players, where yeah. it like put it's the f- like a they record it with a mic. It's like a lo-fi recording with yeah. the tape, but it's uh definitely definitely classic for sure. And they recorded them in hotel rooms. Is where they act. It was just like a like a uh, mobile record thing that he just yeah. moved in and the guy he sat there in front of him in, in a hotel room and he just set up the recorder right in front of him and started playing going to town yeah damn man the myth the legend <laughs> so uh the the story of how he died is yeah um at the young age of 27 dun 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 was so he's at a bar uh this is a basically like a like a a lot of mostly a white person bar okay uh he goes in 
they pay him to play there and uh while he's there uh the the bar owner's wife takes a little bit of a liking to him Mm. and in between sets she's like coming over and sitting on his lap like leaning on him hanging on him and stuff well the bartender or the bar owner is uh you know not so happy with this yeah you know he's got this and of course there's a ton of racism back then yeah and uh (laughs) so so he's looking at you know his wife sitting on this black guy's lap and like hanging all over him and stuff because she's getting drunk you know yeah so he uh laced a glass of whiskey because he was just basically is paying him in whiskey and uh so he went and filled his whiskey glass back up and he laced it with i think maybe cyanide damn they put he put some cyanide in it and uh or strictinine maybe i think yeah. it was strictinine not cyanide i was gonna say that i feel like they use that a lot more back then for yeah like pest control or some shit like that well and it and it's tasteless and odorless mm. so you wouldn't even know it yeah so you, i think yeah so i think it was strictinine that strictinine. they think that they that he used put a little bit of it in his whiskey glass and he just you know downed his whiskey like he always did yeah and then uh started feeling sick left the bar and uh goes back to his hotel and uh a couple other sun house and a couple other guys go to his hotel and they're all like hanging out there like a little after party going on and he said he's sitting there with his guitar in his hand and he's like He's like, man, I don't feel good. So, well, maybe you need to relax, lay down or whatever. Sonhouse said, you know, and then he's like, well, he's like, let me, and he starts like strumming a song and he starts like playing one of his songs and he gets like about halfway through it and he just collapses out of the chair. Damn. And they come over and grab him and like pick him up and put him on the bed and he's like thriving in pain and it takes almost three days for him to finally succumb to and die damn yeah i painful excruciating what pain asshole yeah um first of all don't turn a hoe into a housewife that's the number one rule uh that's the bartender's fault or bar owner right. <laughs> uh but like because I, I guarantee like part of me is like i guarantee you this wasn't the first time his wife has probably been like Oh, you're a musician? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, God damn it, not again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you play those lyrics. Yeah. It, and he's like, he's like, you know, I said, I said next time this happens, <laughs> you're going to regret it. Yeah. And he's like, now, bitch, you're going to regret this. Yeah. <laughs> you did this, not me. <laughs> damn it. Yeah. And, that uh, sucks. Yeah. And because of that, we lost the legend that is Robert Johnson. Uh, I knew, I see, I heard something about a bar owner, and I heard that, le- that I'd not, I'd not to this detail by any means. And at first, when you're telling me that he was dating a woman that was a bar owner, I was like, oh, I wonder if she caught him with another woman. She like shot him or something. But no, uh, I think, I think that marriage that he was in when he, when he passed away, that it was more just a, platonic type of thing convenience yeah yeah but because i think she was even and she was much older than he was too and uh yeah so she was just you know 
it was just one of those things. Yeah. You'll play at my club. You'll stay here when we need something, a little little bump bump from each other. We'll get it in. Right. But I can still go do me. You go do you. Exactly. Uh, I get that. Yep. Wow. Yeah. The legend of Robert Johnson. Well, that sucks, man. I. Uh, he was definitely a pioneer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, man, if if you uh, you play the guitar. You got guitar head. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Robert you got to know. I yeah. have you seen the pictures of him and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there, the I know he's got that one famous one with him and his guitar, and you're just like, that's the man. Like you should, like above your guitar rack, you should have a picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give an homage. That's right. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Are you tired of not getting pregnant? Do you ever wish that you had a bunch of illegitimate children like your favorite rock star or professional athlete? Does your husband not want kids, but you do? Well, try Holy Man brand condoms. See, our patented state-of-the-art technology does not allow for any wasted semen. Our famous mesh-tipped condoms help to funnel and allow every swimmer to become an Olympian. So when people don't respect your religion and make you grab for a condom, then you grab a Holy Man brand condom. When a little miracle needs to happen. You have anything to add about Robert the Johnson? <laughs> nah, man. There's <laughs> That's a, a different person, Robert Johnson. Yeah. There's a, there's a book that uh, came out, I think, back in uh 2019 so last year nice called the real life of robert johnson uh-huh. um if you, if you use search on amazon or google you find that and it has it goes into super great detail about his life and all that kind of stuff yeah everything that i just talked about um i definitely recommend checking that out it might even be on audible too if you want to listen to it sweet i might check that one out yeah i uh I, you th- totally you told me you're looking for a musician like you, like i knew we were going to do a mu- like you were going to do musician never in my wildest dreams you're going to do, do robert johnson i'm like <laughs> that's badass like i'm so nerded out on this one uh that's probably why i was so quiet i'm just like yes what else happened yes um <laughs> i couldn't get enough um all right well well, now we're going to move on to my drunkard in history. Yeah. Uh, my my drunkard has legendary drinking applications. Not just he drank, but he did some wild shit. Uh, he is an athlete. Uh, I'm going to see if you know who he is. Uh, his name that he was born with was Andre Rene Rusimov. Okay, I don't know who that is yet. Okay. Andre the Giant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Andre the motherfucking giant. Uh he was born May 19th, 1946. Um he was born in France, uh actually a commune in Samir et Marine, uh north central France essentially. Yeah. Um the he, land of the giants. Yeah, apparently. Well, uh, so it's funny you said he was 11 pound baby. Which is a big baby, but yeah. it's not nothing crazy. Right. Um, he actually thought that... So if you don't know who Andre the Giant is, uh, turn on your TV. No. Uh, <laughs> but he was a very giant man. Now, he was actually seven feet, four inches. 
at his height. Um, his grandfather, though, was seven feet eight inches. Oh wow! So he thought he just got it from his grandfather. Yeah, like that's what his height. Weird thing is, his parents average height. His brother and sisters average height. Huh? Uh, he didn't hit a growth spurt till his like started growing at fifteen, but he actually started really growing at like seventeen. 18 like a late bloomer uh and just blew up wow uh he actually wasn't that great of a student uh back in his younger years um and he actually tried to quit school in eighth grade um (laughs) he's just like "Ah, i'm done yeah he's like this is stupid because he kind of thought he was just going to be a farmer his parents were farmers he thought he was just going to end up being one well they actually had this is like wild how greats end up hanging out with each other uh they had a family friend by samuel beckett who was a Nobel Prize winning uh, doctor. Uh, and he tried to motivate Andre to go back to school and actually would pick him up in his flatbed truck and drive him and his siblings to school. Oh, wow. And did that through, I guess, the end of their high school years. Yeah. Just to kind of keep them going to school. Uh, after school, uh, Actually, well, during school, uh, he actually had, and you brought this up earlier, and it was so funny you brought that up. He had a love for music, and he wanted to play. But as he got bigger, he realized he couldn't play guitar because his fingers were too damn big. Yeah. And same thing with piano. He was starting smashing more than one key together because they were just too big. Right. Uh, He also wanted to, uh, what is it? When he left high school, he actually tried to join the French Army. And the reason they didn't accept him, which you would think you'd want a dude that's seven, uh, what was it, seven four, seven six, um, in your army, uh, they didn't have a uniform that could fit him, and the <laughs> barracks beds were too small. Yeah. So they literally like we we can't. Right. <laughs> this isn't gonna work. We can't accommodate. Yeah, this isn't gonna work, man. Um, but he actually did excel at sports, rugby. Go fucking figure. Yeah. Right. Uh, and he actually was an okay soccer player. Well. Uh, he actually was weightlift in these gyms and he um, met a couple of the wrestlers, like local regional wrestlers, and they would be in there lifting weights. And then one day, one of their, um, I guess one of the people that was in their group was like sick and they needed someone to fill a spot and they asked him to do it. And he goes, I've never wrestled. I've never even thought about wrestling. I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but he, this is like the first time and he's like 18 at this point. And he was like, I don't, it's like, I've never even thought about this. Well, then he told his parents, I don't want to live in this small town. He moved to Paris and started training as a wrestler. Oh, okay. Um, now, him as a wrestler, he started off with a couple different names. His favorite one was Jean Ferry. Um, and there was also, it, there was different names. Uh, he kind of went by Jean Ferry, uh, Giant Machine, Giant Ferry. Uh, Monster Rusin, Rosimov. I can't even say his name for some reason. Um, and he kind of just bounced around, started training, uh, training at night and working as a mover during the day. Uh, he actually went to the, actually went to Canada and started kind of getting some ground because he was such a large guy. Now I do got to tell you wrestling back then. And the funny thing is I'm not even that big of a wrestling guy, but after reading all this, I kind of got a new appreciation for it. Yeah. But back then, uh, during this time when he was in his like, you know, teen, like late teens, 18, 19, 20 year old, uh, wrestling was very regional 
and there wasn't like a unified like today it's WWE which back then would have been WWF right. like it was just like you had your stars in your region right so it might like for the states it might be a couple states that are like you know you'd see it on your local local broadcast and you would know your wrestler for that region okay well uh under the Giants started to uh kind of travel and just jump to region to region well he started off in canada he also went to australia japan um germany and england and then he'd come back to the states and just kind of kind of just pop around the different regions and he was like i don't want to say they were using him as like a freak show but they were like this giant is coming here right and it would sell out the crowd It'd be funny if he went to Mexico and fought like the tiny little luchadors. Well, that, dude, uh, they when he went to um, Japan, that was like one of the first eye-opening experiences he had, where he was like, "I can't fit in anything." <laughs> like he was so big. Like the man weighed when he was younger; he was like three hundred something pounds. Yeah, uh, which he was actually they they described him as like an athletic gymnast. And as he got older, he put on more weight. Right, it still kind of grew a little bit. Um, and then he became more of a kind of like a staunch wrestler. Um, oh, what was it? So he basically met a promoter, went to Canada, started traveling around. Uh, Jean Ferry was his name. Uh, at, when he went to actually Japan, uh, that's actually, uh, like I said, when he kind of realized his size was going to be an issue. It was after this kind of, of him like moving around, there was a very big uh, promoter that caught his eye. And the guy's name was uh, Vince McMahon. Yeah. Young Vince McMahon saw Andre the Giant and was like, there's something to this guy. So he kind of got with Andre, and basically he was the one that kind of was like, hey, let's just call you all Andre the Giant, and we want to portray you as like a beastly figure. Right. Um, now Andre in like the 15 years of being a regional, just bopping around the different regions yeah. and before it actually became a unified national league had never been defeated like really? 15 years undefeated. Wow. Now he did get defeated by one guy and it was Anon Alcasi beat him one time when it was like regional, which was kind of like a, um, just kind of like and no one could believe it because he was such a smaller guy than andre was but it was one of those things that they realized like everyone's there just to see him win for the most part um they after he kind of lost and then got with uh vince mcmahon uh vince mcmahon started to buy up all the regional um all the kind of different because every region had its own like promoters and yada right. yada. So Vince McMahon bought up his dad's company, started buying out all the other regions to make it uniform. And basically this came with television. Right. So right when television started coming out, that's when he started unifying everything. Well, this is when he would still, as this is like during the time he lost once early on. And then from then on for the next 15 years, he basically won no matter what he did. But he always was there as like almost not like a like kind of like a sideshow like he never went for like the title belt or anything like that right um now the reason i even kind of bring all this stuff that's how he started getting fame people would come from miles around to see this guy he's massive right uh and we'll get into kind of like what he uh 
went into his like later years, but um, during all this, like he's such a big guy, and like I said, once again, he's like seven foot four. Uh, he ended up being five hundred thirteen pounds. That's Holy a, shit! That's how much he weighed, right? Yeah. Um, he was in constant pain. Like if he sat too too like too long in like airplane rides his knees would cramp up his elbows would cramp up like his hips would cramp up it just was constant just pain now part of this was when he was in japan they found out that the reason he was the size that he was wasn't because of genetics is because he had a tumor on the gland that actually produces growth hormones oh wow it's called like aglomeria aglomeglia and that's what increased his size. That's also why he had like such a large forehead, jawline. Right. Um, there was actually a great picture of him holding a beer can, yeah. and literally it's in his palm. Right. Yeah, like I've you can't that. see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that brings me to this, and not just the the aglomeria made him taller and larger. It made his organs larger, bigger. Right. Yeah. So he was a heavy drinker. <laughs> heavy by all accounts of yeah. every wrestler that i have watched interviews of or read about they all said the same thing the man could drink and actually and an, uh, as an unofficial world record <laughs> because there's no actual world record because i'm thinking they're they're afraid somebody would try to it probably kill them to try right but it has been said that with like someone actually being there um that he drank a hundred and fifty six beers in a uh, in one sitting. Holy crap! Now man. I know he drank one hundred and nineteen in a six hour setting. That I've read from uh, different people describing what he could do, and that was like him getting blacked out drunk. Essentially, it took that many to get blacked yeah. out drunk. There, there was actually a great. I will say, uh, there's, you know, you're talking about the thing to. Uh, watch or read about Robert Johnson. There was actually a great documentary I actually watched because I was digging into this that's on HBO right now called Andre the Giant. And it talks about his life, everything he went through, everything he was trying to accomplish. Um, it is a little sad at the end. Uh, but the uh, the crazy part was all the different people talking about their drinking stories with Andre. Yeah. Because people try to go toe to toe with him, they pass out. Uh, they said uh, Jake the Snake Roberts um, was a referee in the beginning and basically drove him. Uh, they go, hey, you're not going to referee tonight. You are actually going to drive Andre around. And it was like, okay. And so he has to drive Andre 80 miles to the next venue, right? Because yeah. back then it was just a traveling show. Right. So he goes, uh, okay. And he said the Andre goes, Good beer. He's like, okay. He's like, well, how much do you want? He goes, two cases. <laughs> he go and Andre's. He's just like, all right, man. Uh, I guess uh, I'll, I'll get you that. He's thinking it was gonna like be for his like in his room later. Yeah. And he goes, so I go in there, get two cases, and he's like, I get me a six pack. I'm driving. I just pop one. I'm drinking it. And he goes, we're driving eighty miles, and all I can hear is ksh, 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 in the back seat. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and then uh they get to the venue he gets out and he goes here let me grab your beer for you and andre's like oh god he's like you're shitting me 
<laughs> and he looked in back and said, it's nothing but empty beer cans. He even checked his seat because he's like, there's no way a guy could drink that much and not piss himself. Yeah. Um, and he said it was, it was done. It, there has been numerous accounts of him going out to drink or go out to eat with people and drink like four or five bottles of wine. Yeah. And oh, my then, God. And they were like, <laughs> and actually there was an account. I don't remember who it was, but he quit drinking and he quit drinking like for like a month in January and he had four bottles of wine with uh, uh, with uh, dinner one night. These people <laughs> like reaccount it and they were like, that was him not drinking. Holy right. shit. That, that was, he, uh, he quit drinking. He quit drinking and had four bottles of wine and yeah. he's like, I, he was like, I didn't even feel it. He's like, yeah, that's Kool-Aid. What are yeah. you talking about? That's yeah. not- <laughs> that, just sweet. I don't even taste anything. Um, <laughs> I used to drink that when I was four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but comes with that, like him drinking so much, uh, he had legendary bar tabs where sometimes promoters would just pay him, just like Robert Johnson, just pay his bar tab. There was a night that said that he rang up a $40,000 bar tab. Holy shit. Just from pounding alcohol. Um so drinking wise the man was a legend and he would do it before matches like he would have two or three bottles of wine and then go out and wrestle now a lot of them said he did it because of his con because like it's someone that big and that much weight it wears on your knees and back and hips and that so he was constantly like dealing with that pain yeah so he was numbing it by just chugging wine that was his medicine yeah that was his medicine that was his painkiller yeah, uh, there was uh, there's some great stories that have come out of this that I've learned about. Uh, one of them was um, Hulk Hogan and him, uh, who were actually best friends. And if you actually uh, find out later, they actually like wrestled each other uh, in one of the biggest epic wrestling bouts of all times. It is, man. I remember. It. I'm like, I can. As soon as you said Andre the Giant. Or actually, I said it first. Yeah. But as soon as we, that I knew that's what we we're talking about. The first thing that came to my mind was Hulk Hogan putting him, him up on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, and they talk about that in the uh, the documentary, which uh, holy shit. Um, but yeah, so they were like best friends, yeah. and they had like a layover, like forty five minutes, and uh, they go there, and Andre drank like forty beers. <laughs> at a bar just waiting for their flight and they go in there uh rick flair actually mentioned i think in the same documentary that they were on a plane together and they drank every bottle of vodka <laughs> <laughs> like the plane was dry yeah it has no more liquor um my dad was telling me that he was at uh he went to vegas and they were having a thing going on in vegas there and uh he sees these guys come into the restaurant at the hotel that he's staying at start hammering beers and stuff drinking these big or uh eating these big like steak dinners and stuff yeah then leave then he sees them on tv (laughs) wrestling like fighting each other and screaming at each other and calling each other names and stuff yeah and then an hour later they're back at the same hotel Drinking and eating again with each other like they're best friends. Yeah. Oh, they were. Uh, behind closed doors, they were like the best of friends. Uh, and they had actually, to get into like a little bit more wrestling nerdism, um, which, you know, I was telling you, like I uh, 
Oh, I told you, I was like, yeah, I had like this weird wrestling dream last night. Well, this is why. I was I watched a documentary and have done nothing for the past 48 hours, but look at wrestling shit. Yeah. And I had a weird dream last night where I was in the middle of like, all right, we're going to name you this and you're going to fight this guy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, the uh, <laughs> like, that's just like you read enough of it. Then you start <laughs> Uh, waking up like I'm going to be the next wrestler um, but yeah they, they were the best of friends basically and yeah. they, uh, there was actually a misnomer that everything that happened before Wrestlemania 3 in 1987 which is when that happened is like almost erased because before then they were the best of friends even on stage like there was one time when, when Hulk Hogan actually won the champion or became the like the world champion Andre actually came up and like sprayed him with champagne and like congratulated him and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and they basically um, kind of like wanted to rebrand Andre and they kind of made him into a villain. Yeah. And that's where WrestleMania three comes along. And it was actually part of it was that his body was deteriorating. One part from the tumor that he could have had fixed, but he didn't want to because he was afraid it was going to affect his wrestling career. But he also had some back and knee surgeries, and he wasn't as agile as he used to be. And it's part of that could have been his size and weight, but part of that could have been just the wear and tear of wrestling. Yeah. Because they say um, Hulk Hogan is like 6'8", I think is how tall Hulk Hogan is. Yeah, he's a big dude. Uh, he is not that tall as he used to be. He even says it like he's just years of lifting full grown two three hundred pound men yeah like starts to kind of like stunt you and like mess up your back and stuff like that right um and so same thing with him now he's a little hunched yeah um <laughs> uh, but yeah uh i'll tell you uh one of the stories i found that i thought was hilarious it made me laugh uh that one night andre went to a bar uh and he uh, was at a hotel and drank this place under the table. And he was drinking like wine, then he drank beer, then he drank like uh, like vodka tonics, all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, they said he drank like $10,000 worth or whatever. Um, a Jeez. crazy amount. And basically got so shit-faced that he ended up like getting up, walking out into the lobby, and then just fell right over passed out out he's gone right and then the wrestlers that were with him the lot like the manager was like what are we gonna do he's like i'm not gonna call the cops on you all but what are we gonna do right we can't have this and they were like (laughs) what do you want us to do he weighs 500 pounds right there's no moving him call the fire department bring in a forklift we don't know so <laughs> get in the crane yeah so the hotel just took a piano cover <laughs> put it over top of them and then put velvet ropes all the way around them <laughs> <laughs> and left them in the lobby <laughs> don't mind this yeah and Hulk Hogan actually said, he's like, I wasn't there for that, but I was there the next morning, and there he was, his big ass was laying in the lobby floor. <laughs> oh, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, 
the uh, <laughs> the accounts from Jake the Snake, by the way, was on Joe Rogan's podcast, which you can go kind of back and listen to that. But if you don't want to hear my shitty version of it, but one of the things that made me laugh and didn't I didn't think about was he talked about how uncomfortable he was. He actually had a farm out in like uh, North Carolina. He could get away. Uh, he had some people like take care of it for him, uh, but just like in cars, he couldn't fit. In plane rides, he hated it. Yeah. Uh, they actually built him a trailer for like the WWE or WWF, where he they it was like the first time like I this might be where RVs come from. Hell if I know, but they basically built him a trailer so he could relax and lay down and travel with the WWF instead of being in a car because yeah. he was just so cramped up. Um, the uh, the wildest thing was, as he put it, like he couldn't even fit in like like airplane bathrooms. He couldn't fit in it. Same thing with hotels. Like every hotel, like he'd hang halfway off the bed. Sometimes the way the toilets were angled, he couldn't get to the toilet to relieve himself. Jesus. So he would shit in the bathtub. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You'd have to shit in a bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. And even our airplanes, they said they would just pull up a curtain, cover them, and let him relieve or do whatever he's got to do in a bucket, and they would pick it up and then pour it in the commode on the airplane. Oh, my God. Yeah. How embarrassing, though, like, as a person. Yeah. You have to live like that. Yeah. And he was just... He actually, one of his interviews brought up the best thing. He goes, you know what? They have stuff for handicapped people, for blind people, for deaf people. They don't have anything for big people. Yeah. Now, they do now because, shit, there's so much, so many more giant, tall people. I mean, I guarantee you, like, half the NBA have, like, all their amenities at their house for their size. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, I mean, I would hate to see one of the, one of these dudes that's, like, seven feet tall have to take a dump in a tiny toilet right uh, but uh, apparently he was like a super nice sweetheart of a guy but just loved the booze they said every thing he every single one of his matches he definitely had as he put it uh, that intense alcohol breath <laughs> and just yeah. be like <laughs> and like they, they could just smell it on him um and sometimes they would never even know. Like, he drank four bottles of wine. You couldn't even tell. Like, Did he ever become the heavyweight champ? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't think so. I know he went after it, and that was what WrestleMania was, and that was all them making him out to be going after the title belt against Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And uh, the uh, then he ended up losing it. Now, here's the funny part of this, and I'm FYI, spoiler alert for the documentary if you go watch it. Um, he, a lot of times, if you don't know, wrestling is a lot of times pre-planned. Okay? So. What? Are you trying to say that it's fake? I'm not saying it's fake. Oh. I, I said it's planned. It's planned? Yeah. So, like, the outcome is planned. A lot of times, yeah. Uh, is it ever not planned? <laughs> uh, yeah. WrestleMania 3 really wrestlemania 3 okay so hulk was nervous because uh as andre the as a lot of these guys accounts were as andre would let you know who's in charge in the ring like if you were a loud mouth asshole like he would definitely set you straight <laughs> and they were like that he would beat the shit out of people damn um he hated macho man randy savage 
<laughs> beat the shit out of that guy for real. Uh, didn't like, oh, what is it? There was a, another giant that came along later who wasn't as big as him. He was like seven foot, but Andre definitely like, I'm the only giant here. Right. And like he ran and the, the other, his opponent ran out of the stadium and, and grabbed his shit and left. And they're like, where are you going? He goes, you don't fucking kill me. <laughs> uh, but he would definitely set the tone. Right. Um, but yeah, so WrestleMania three with Hulk Hogan, uh, because he's nervous about it because this is the biggest televised event in wrestling history at the point, and they had a sold out crowd of something god awful like fifty eighty thousand people or something crazy was there. Right. Um, and then Hulk Hogan's like keeps keeps asking Vince McMahon like, "What are we gonna do? How's this gonna happen? You know what? Like trying to plan it out." And Andre is just like, don't worry about it. And then so Vince finally goes, Hulk, what do you want to do? And Hulk wrote out the entire thing, but until it got to the ending, and he just goes, what do you want to do? Yeah. And uh, so he Vince McMahon gives it to Andre. Hulk keeps asking Andre, keeps asking Vince. They're all like, Vince like, I don't know what to tell you. Andre's like, don't worry about it. We'll get it. So the day of, Hulk's still like, who? What's the ending to this? Yeah, uh, nothing. They go into the ring, and Hulk's like, I don't know what's gonna happen, because he hasn't said he's following what I said. Well, they start. It's exactly what he wrote down. So it gets to the point where Hulk stopped writing and just put a question mark, and then that's when Andre uh, was supposed to like kick out and didn't. And got a three count, and then basically let him win, and did it as like a passing of the torch because yeah. Andre was the old school and Hulk was the new school, right? And so it was like this like nice thing between friends of like he's helping build him up. Yeah. Now it wasn't soon after that Andre's like health started to deteriorate, his body was breaking down. Even like matches, you can see he's like hanging on to the rope the whole time. He can't get stable. Like it's just. His he and he is still growing. That was the weird part. He's still slowly growing, but his organs aren't. Right. So he actually never stopped physically growing. Yeah, he was slightly growing, uh, and it was all because of the tumor. It was still producing. Now it it didn't like hit it like when he was younger. Yeah. But it was just like a little bit still. Um. So after that that was kind of like the bit like i said passing of the torch from the old to new and it wasn't long after that that he actually ended up passing away yeah um his father passed away and uh he went to go visit him um in france and then um basically was there for his funeral went to the funeral went to a hotel room um like two a day or two later was supposed to meet up with his sister and stuff and they went to his hotel room and they found him he was just dead um what did he die from can uh heart failure yeah and basically his just heart couldn't take all the his His heart was like the size of a basketball yeah uh but fun facts um Yes, fun facts. So here's the fun facts. So yeah, but yeah, Andre Giant passing was very rough. It was very sad. Um, 
he's iconic. You know the Obey thing? Remember seeing that back yeah. in the day? Like the graffiti? You know that's Andre the Giant's face? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little fun fact. Uh, also, in a sitting, he would drink 7,000 calories of alcohol. Nice. Uh, he would minimal, minimal, people would say he would drink 24 beers at minimum. Yeah. At least. Uh, he was also a great farter. Really? Because it, it, that big body... And like, if you go watch the documentary, dude, there's a whole section of all of them talking about how well he farted. <laughs> it was like a 30, 40 second long, just <laughs> and um, I think it was like Jake the Snake or somebody that said uh, he would do this thing where he would grab the ropes and then like slam and sit on the guy. Yeah. And he said one time uh, his hand slipped and it landed on Jake the Snake's chest, and then he felt like a ripple, and Jake was like, I thought he broke my sternum. Just his hand? No, just his ass. Oh, his he ass He dropped his ass, but him. he would hold himself. Right. Well, his hand slipped, so his whole like 500 body weight nailed him in the chest. Yeah. Um, and he's like, it knocked the wind out of me, and I feel this like weird sensation. And then I thought he broke my sternum, and I'm freaking out for a second. And then he, I, I look up, and he like looks down at me. He's laughing, and I realize he's farting on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, funny. <laughs> Apparently, that was his gag. It was yeah. just to like go into <laughs> elevators and just drop ass. <laughs> oh my god! I know. The more I learn about this guy, the more I like him. Uh, <laughs> He definitely had that like very deep voice. You could barely understand him with that thick French accent. Um, but yeah, his stories of drinking is what's I had to bring him on Drunkards of History. Yeah, the fact he is like basically the is has drink mo, more beer in one sitting than anyone else in the world. Whew. Yeah, uh, the I got a lot of accounts of one nineteen beers, but the one I found on the other one was one fifty six. And people are like, I sat there and watched it. It was insane. And just boom, 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 nothing. What beer was it that he was drinking? Probably anything. <laughs> and they would say like, I anything think. Anything and everything they could get to. Yeah. There was a, I found one story about him. Uh, a bartender was like, hey, I got to do last call. And he goes, but you can drink as long, or you can stay here as long as you drink. Kind of thing, right? Right. So he, he that's got. A, that's a bad. uh that's a bad bartender <laughs> that's a great bartender uh <laughs> dude because you could be there all night he, in the morning and the, the bar- next day <laughs> by the bartender's accounts andre the giant ordered 40 vodka tonics fucking 40 at last call at last call <laughs> and drank every single one of them till four in the morning damn yeah dude i don't even like vodka tonic yeah, that's a lot of carbonation. Yeah, that's a... Uh, he definitely had some good farts after that. Oh, dude, that was part of it, too. I was like, how much he ate and drank. That's another thing yeah. I was going to say is he had to... His meals had to have been ungodly. Oh, they were ginormous. Yeah. Uh, they Well, part of it was, too... Uh, this is the sad part. When he went to Japan is when he found out about his agglomerate. Maria, Mia, the the tumor on his brain, and they basically told him he wouldn't live past forty. He died in January twenty seventh, nineteen ninety three, um, and he actually did have, uh, but I think because of that, he knew he wasn't going to live a long life. Part of the reason I think he, 
you know why everyone said he was such a nice guy he like he loved being the jokester and like he drank a lot he wanted to party he loved the after party he loved women and they a lot of them wouldn't say at least on the interviews i saw they wouldn't say anything in particular but they were like yeah a lot of women were drawn to him for some reason and then rick flair was like what can you say man the guy's got a 20 three inch shoe uh (laughs) (laughs) they're curious i was like "Ah, that makes sense so he definitely lived life to the fullest uh and like i said died died young uh i think 40 i don't remember how old he was he was born in 46 and died in 93 47 so he lived past 40 yeah but i was gonna say he lived life but dude, you know, girls sometimes don't like a twenty-three inch shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's too much. Yeah, some sometimes they just want to see what a twenty-inch shoe looks like. <laughs> I don't think I would want to be with a girl who wants to be with a twenty-three inch shoe. Well, I I don't think they'd be with. No offense, you either. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're hey, they wouldn't be with me either. No. Yeah. I'm not supporting a 23-inch shoe. No. Yeah. I don't have a 23-inch shoe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was always a... Uh, <laughs> How do you run with a 23-inch shoe? I don't think he ran too much. No. At least the older, he, the older and heavier he got, you could see him kind of stiffen up. And, like, Giggity. I remember his wrestling outfit. He was like a, the spandex <laughs> thing. Yeah. You would think you'd see a 23-inch shoe. (laughs) (laughs) It was cold in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or maybe he's got, like, from what I've heard, I don't know, but the, like, the Shaq thing, I don't know if you heard about, I've I've listened to podcasts, I don't know why, but they've talked about Shaq's dong before. Yeah. And they're like, it's, they were like, at at least from what I've heard, because I think there was a, a girl that used to hook up with Shaq. Oh, it was a... Oh my God! I was just reading about this. There was a woman who wrote a book on giving head, and she basically name drops like all these rappers and pro athletes, and one yeah. of them was Shaq. And she talks about how big his wang was, and she's like, basically, it's big, but it's not as big as you would think it would be for Shaq's body, right? Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where you're like, well, yeah, that makes like it's proportional, but you right. would think it'd be like, sorry. I got to tuck it in my shoe sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it fits perfectly yeah. in my tube I sack. wear a garter just to keep it against the leg. That's right. I mean, that's what, <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So, I don't know. But uh, he, he did have a, uh, I guess a, I don't know if it was a spouse or what it was, but he did, definitely has a daughter out there. Maybe um, he was a grower instead of a shower. Hey, you know. <laughs> I think that was his life. (laughs) Oh, God. That's great. So that was my drunkard in history, Andre the Giant, the man that could drink more beer than anyone else. Suck it. That's right. Andre the Giant. Yeah. Andre the Giant and Robert Johnson, I think we had a successful uh, third drunkards in history that's right number three the giant johnson uh that's right (laughs) (laughs) yes that's right (laughs) oh man 
soberlessthoughts at gmail.com is the email. Don't forget Facebook. And uh, Instagram and Twitter is Think Soberless. Or at Soberless Thoughts. Yeah. Or uh, go check out all those old episodes at soberlessthoughts.com. That's right. They're all there just waiting, waiting for the picking. They're like, hey, listen to me. Yeah. Hey, listen to me. Don't forget me. That's Get right. all this backstory. That's right. Uh, yeah. We, we, we talk a lot about our history. <laughs> Of drunkardness, yeah, in a lot of those old episodes. Yeah, we haven't hit up a uh, drunkard night in a while. <laughs> That's usually when we're fresh out of ideas and we're way too hammered to look anything up. So, like, let's just chat. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's see just, where this goes. Let's just talk about what we used to do. Yeah, back yeah. when I was a twenty-three-year <laughs> size Johnson. I don't know. Three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 17 minutes ago yeah right um yeah check us out there all right uh don't forget that when you're in the skillet (laughs) let's see if i can get this right uh don't forget when you're in the skillet stay cheesy keep it greasy let's flip on out
1938 And as the men who knew Robert All died of old age 